Well, I don't know about y'all, but I have really enjoyed being here already. I uh, only know a few of you, but I feel like I know most of you. And as we were sitting there singing, it made me think of how it might feel someday in heaven when we see all these people that we never knew, and yet in that moment we'll know each other. I love the blues. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the blues and old gospel, old, uh, Negro spirituals, where we get a lot of our typical church music comes from those roots. And uh, that Amazing Grace sounded a whole lot like the blues to me. And that's why one reason I enjoyed it so much. It's my favorite music. I want to thank you who played um, the guitars, the bass, the piano for using your talents for the Lord. Amen. I spent 10 years downtown in Nashville, and I know you could be in a bar on Broadway playing or on the street corner, and I'm glad you're here using what God has given you for Him, and I'm thankful for the way it blessed my soul. It is such a privilege and an honor to come into a place where I don't know a lot of you and where uh, I haven't preached here before. I don't know if I've ever been here before. But I'm thankful to be here, and I'll promise you this, I'll do my best to follow the Lord. If you pray for me, I'll do my best to leave myself out of it. Because anything worthwhile about me is God. I've never accomplished anything without the Lord helping me that was worthwhile. God saved me on my face in a puddle of tears, in a room full of people, and I couldn't even get to the altar because there were too many other people in the way praying. I had to humble myself. In fact, I wasn't able to humble myself. God had to humble me and break me under His mighty hand because I was too proud to bow and pray. You know, from nine years old until 14 years old, I wouldn't pray sincerely in public because I didn't want people to see me crying. What kind of a 9, 10, 11, 12 year old has that much pride? I did. How foolish. And many people take that pride into their teenage years, their college years, if they go to college, their adult lives. It's not worth it. God is merciful to me and merciful to all of us. And everyone who knows Him and tries to serve Him, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So God isn't hard on me. Don't misunderstand me. But I still regret those five years that I could have served Him and didn't. That I could have known Him and didn't. So, if you're listening to this, if you're here, or listening later and you don't know the Lord, you think maybe I'm a little weird getting so excited all of a sudden, I want you to know that the whole point of life is to serve the One who made you. And the sooner you get about doing that, the happier your life will be. You don't have to be somebody who's 50 or 60 years old talking about how you wasted your 20s and 30s. You don't have to be. I haven't served the Lord perfectly. None of us have. But I've been trying to preach since I was 20. 14 years. And I don't regret any of it. God has been good to me. I'm sure a lot of you here tonight could say the same thing. He alone is worthy. He deserves our attention. He deserves our hearts. He deserves our lives. 
I tried to preach over at Western at the university on Thursday night about how you could spend your whole life seeking after truth and not regret it because truth is the one thing that's worth spending your life on. Jesus said, I am the truth. If you're sincerely seeking truth with all your heart, you're seeking Jesus. And all who seek Him sincerely find Him. I'm thankful. I didn't have any of that planned. But like you said, brother, part of coming here, part of standing behind this pulpit, we're supposed to yield to the Lord. Our lives. Listen, I am a person, for those of you who don't know me, who in some ways, I said this the other night, I live five years in the future. I'm always like preparing. You want to be prepared. You want to be diligent. You want to try to use the talents God has given you. Proverbs says, do you see a man who's diligent in his business? That man will stand before kings. He will not stand before any mean or lowly men. And yet at the same time, we do everything we can to try to use our lives to the fullest. We need to be willing, see my hands? We need to be willing to let go. So every time I grab on too tight to my life, God's merciful enough to let me realize all of my strength is an illusion. In fact, Paul said, that His strength is made perfect in my weakness. And so this morning, I want to stand before you leaning on God's strength this evening. So bright outside, it feels like morning. If you want to turn with me to Acts, we'll read from the first chapter. As you're turning there, I'm going to read the last uh, verse of John 21-25, the very last verse. And this is laying the... Um, foundation or given us the context for what we're about to read. He says, There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Jesus is a man who lived to the fullest. He said, The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Brothers and sisters, those of us who are alive by God's grace, and I might talk a little bit about what that means, we should actually live like we're alive. And that's why I was so encouraged and so blessed to come in this place I've never been tonight, having only met a few of you, and I don't know any of you very well, and to feel the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and worshiping God together in truth. So, let's start reading. I'm going to read the first little bit of this chapter. And the text that's really on my heart is verse 7 and 8. We'll start in verse 1. The former treatise I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So, we see that this is a letter that is being written to a particular person to recount what has happened in the first period of time after Jesus left. This is the Acts of the Apostles. This book tells us what the early church did with their lives. So he says, Until that day in which Jesus was taken up, after that He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments unto the apostles whom He had chosen, to whom also He showed Himself alive after His passion, by many infallible proofs, 
being seen of them for forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power. After that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight." And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And if you keep reading, it tells us there were about 120 of them who went into a central location in Jerusalem and continued, 14th verse, with one accord in prayer, supplication, the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, all of his brethren, that's what they were doing. Jesus gave them a command, not a suggestion, and they actually did it. In this... uh, Culture we live in, I call it a microwave culture. We all carry, most of us, phones in our pockets that have more computing power than the computer that sent the first rocket to the moon. Uh, Literally. We want things right now. I've gotten into real estate recently and I'll show people a house and they'll talk about how great the kitchen is and then I'll say, well, you like cooking? They say, no, I don't cook. I think, why do you want such a big fancy kitchen? They use the microwave. We live in a microwave culture. People don't spend more than five minutes getting their meal ready. And I'm spending time on this to help us understand how significant Jesus' command was. Jesus knows that He is about to leave the earth. And He has never yet come back since then. Some people talk about Jesus being among us or things like that. That is false doctrine. Jesus is on the right hand of the Father in heaven interceding for us. The Holy Spirit is here with us. Jesus is not here Himself. The Holy Spirit is. He went up into heaven. These people saw Him leave. And we're still supposed to be living expectantly of Him coming back from the same direction. But He hasn't yet. It's been over 2,000 years. He knows all things. He knew He was leaving. And the best advice, the most important instruction He could give these people is in verse 4. Wait. To our microwave culture, I say wait. To everybody who can't wait, I say wait. Because Jesus told the first church the very first step to serving me in power and transforming the world is to wait for the promise of the Father.
What does Scripture tell us? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It is only those who wait on the Lord that get strength and sustenance from the Lord. It's only when you realize your own brokenness that God begins to fix you. It's only when you realize your own weakness that God's strength picks you up and you can do things that you're not even capable of doing on your own. I don't believe in false humility, so I'll tell you, I have seen God do amazing things with my life. And I've done none of them on my own. I told you my own strength is an illusion. I know what it feels like to not even be able to get up and go to the bathroom without help. I've been there. I know what it's like to be weak and broken. I know what it's like not to be able to function without God interceding. But when His strength comes, you can do... Jesus said you'll do even greater things than these. Oh, brothers and sisters, we can't limit ourselves. God intends to use us to turn the world upside down again. I don't know where some of our brothers got this idea that the world's just going to wind down and get worse and worse and worse and God's going to somehow become invisible. Listen, we're supposed to live in power. We're supposed to live in victory. I'm not talking about some kind of fake name it and claim it. I'm talking about the truth of what these phonies stole from us. You can wake up in the morning with purpose. You can know it matters that you're alive. But you know what it all starts with? Waiting on the promise of the Father. Jesus knew that even though he had spent over three years in personal company training these men, that they still couldn't do it on their own. When Jesus came to this earth and began what we call his earthly ministry, one of the very first things he did was he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days by Satan. Jesus didn't get right to work. He didn't start building religious castles right away. He didn't go around the corner and get a bunch of fundraising and build a big building to start a big... He didn't do any of that. He prepared himself spiritually by waiting on God. The Father. Jesus, who was God in the flesh. And I will admit, I don't understand that. I, my mind can't comprehend it. But He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. Jesus drew His strength from the Father. Why would we ever think we could do anything without getting it from God? Oh, but I do. When I was a younger man than I am now, I feel like my early 20s, my attitude was kind of like, God, show me what you want me to do. That's what I prayed. I didn't realize I'd feel like He told me and then I'd go try to do it with Him over there. You know what my prayer became in the last few years? God, you have to help me. That is the foundation of all of my prayer these days. God, you have to help me. I don't just want to know what you want me to do because I can't do it unless you help me. I'd rather just know you and look to you and trust you than have any idea about what I'm supposed to be doing. They that wait upon the Lord. So he tells them, wait for the promise of the Father. Which, saith he, you've heard of me. Jesus, in fact, spent His whole earthly ministry trying to model and live and preach and teach before them what this promise, coming promise was. 
Then he tells them clearly what he's talking about. And I want to show you they don't get it. Fifth verse, in case they don't know what the promise is. He says, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. That's the promise. I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Listen, the same people who ran in fear, Peter who denied Christ three times and even cursed about it. All these men who were terrified became martyrs. Heard one preacher say one time, and it's always struck, stuck with me. He said, before the Holy Spirit empowered them, they cast lots. They didn't do it after that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? When Matthias, when they elected him to be the next apostle. They didn't have to do that after that. The Holy Spirit empowered them and began to show them. We can live in the same way now. If we first wait on the Lord. Draw our strength from the Spirit. Find out what He wants. And then pour our lives into that. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. Now this, lest you ever think you can arrive. And I I don't know who's here, but if there's some really focused, intense, hard-working people like I was as a younger man in my 20s, I thought sleep was optional. By the way, it's not. You've got to renew your strength. But if there's anybody like that here, these people... Spent years walking with God in the flesh, eating with Him, drinking with Him, listening to Him teach, watching Him heal people, and they still didn't understand what He was talking about. Who are we to ever think we could figure it out? Oh my goodness. Listen, when they therefore were come together, they asked of Him saying, now He's told them, wait for the promise. Then He says the promise is the Holy Spirit who will empower you. Then they say, Lord... Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> You're going to give us our property back? You're going to give us our kingdom back, Lord? Are you going to give us our land back? Are we going to have respect among the nations again? Are our neighbors going to be scared of us again? That's what they were concerned about. They don't get it. Now listen to this. This is the title of the message tonight. He said unto them, It is not for you to know. That's what God sent me here to preach to you all. It is not for you to know. The times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own power. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you tonight. The sooner we stop trying to figure out the things that it's not for us to know and instead do what Jesus told us to do, which is wait upon the Lord, get strength from the Holy Spirit, and then do what He burdens us to do. The sooner we do that, the sooner we will see God working. The sooner we'll see people... I've seen a weird pattern. I go around preaching a lot of places and people are almost harassing People they think are lost to make them seek the Lord. Listen, the day God saved me, the Holy Spirit broke my heart to the place that I couldn't not seek Him. And in fact, some of the people in that church didn't even know that I was lost. I remembered a lady telling me, I had no idea you were lost. You were so nice and polite. 
Listen, you can fool people, you can't fool the Holy Spirit. And the best thing we can do for our children, our nieces and nephews and cousins, our friends, our neighbors, is to seek God, wait upon the Lord, draw strength from the Holy Spirit. When God's presence is among us in a mighty, powerful way, you won't have to ask a lost person to the altar. They won't be able to resist seeking the Lord. Some of you older ones have seen services like that. Maybe some of the younger ones have. I was saved in a service like that. That's not the old days. You know there's a scripture that says, don't talk about the old days, don't inquire the old days. Listen, you should live right now. That's not the good old days. That's what God wants. He wants to be powerful among us. He tells them it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. (sighs) Don't we always get anxious? We worry about times and seasons. One of the things taught all through Scripture is the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Job taught us. But we see it all through Scripture. And yet we want to know, we want to make our whole life this one continual season of some kind of utopia, which isn't real. Life is supposed to have seasons. There's a time to be born. There's a time to grow old. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant. There's a time to reap that which is planted. Even in this life, God gives us times of rest and He gives us times of intense labor. He gives us times of healing and He he allows us to have times of brokenness. There's seasons. Jesus tells them it's not for you to know the seasons. Listen, some of you might be going into or coming out of or in the middle of a season of life that's harder than you know what to do with. To you I say, wait upon the Lord. He can do things for you and in you and through you and around you that no doctor, no therapist, no expert could ever do. There's so much brokenness around us in the world and it gets on us. It gets in us. We live in a fallen universe. We are broken and we need the healing and the sustaining and the strengthening of God. We need to wait on the Lord. I spent about seven months... Seems like I always talk about this when I preach since I got back, but I spent about seven months in, in Germany, the beginning of last year, end of 2018, beginning of 2019, and I was uh, on military bases helping soldiers and Marines and airmen transition out of the military, helping with VA benefits. But my job that God sent me there for, they'd come to my office, I'd shut the door, and our hearts would talk to each other. And you know what the best thing I could ever tell them? When they, I mean, they would open up, they'd say, I never told anybody these things before ever. Because they finally found, they could feel, they found somebody finally who finally cared. And the best thing I ever told them was, I can't help you, but I know who can. And there were times, I'm not telling you, this is not about me, I'm telling you about what God can do. Hardly a week went by that we weren't praying in my office, tears running. For the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ to help these people. And they'd walk out saying, oh, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect that. It's what God can do. Pray for them. They went through things. This destruction with the tornadoes. My little brother and I went to try to help out and it's overwhelming. Pray for them. Pray for these nurses and doctors. Pray for the firemen and policemen. Pray for the EMT people. 
Pray for your pastor and the preachers. We deal with so much brokenness in the world. People call them first responders. Who I mentioned, firemen, policemen. We're supposed to be first responders. We're supposed to be in a battle. Actually, let me rephrase that. Whether you want to or not, you're in a battle. There's a spiritual battle waging all around us and you can pretend it's not there, but it's there. The best thing you can do is fit yourself like a man and go to battle for the Lord or like a woman. Put on the armor of God. And by the way, that armor, we talk a lot about the armor in church. But right before it talks about the armor, Paul says, Stand therefore in the Lord and in the power of His might. You put on the armor and forget to be in the power of God and it won't help you much. Or I'll tell you what, you could stand in the Lord, the power of His might, and not put on any armor and be a whole lot better off if you had to. It's better to do both, though. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Talked a lot about seasons, times, though, too. We want to know when things are going to happen. And we make sometimes our service to the Lord conditional upon knowing the times. Lord, I'll do that, but I just need to know about this other thing first. I want to do that, but I need to know how this other thing is going to work out. Or, Lord, let me know when. It's not for us to know the times or the seasons, which the Father has put in His own power. I don't know about you, but when I get to a place that my flesh is broken and I'm not trying to rely on my own mind, I am so much more comfortable with things being in the power of God than in my own control. I'd rather my friends and loved ones' souls, destiny, be in the hand of God than under any influence of my own. I trust Him more than I trust myself. Not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own power, but you shall receive power. Let me say something, especially to the young people. God has gifted you with a particular ability and talent this applies to older ones too but I don't feel like I'm old enough to instruct any older people but to the younger ones I'll say this God has given you talents that are unique to you that you have that nobody else has you might not know what they are yet I know some people think in a church there's the preacher the song leader the usher the deacon that's about all the Sunday school teachers that's about all the jobs there are but there are so many more jobs in the kingdom of Christ The Lord needs saved people to be nurses and doctors and soldiers, chaplains and firemen, fathers and mothers and teachers. He needs His people to go into all the world. Don't forget, that's why He saved us. He didn't save us to go to heaven someday. He saved us to serve Him in power now. So you young people, don't ever settle. Don't ever let your life be less than God wants it to be. Don't get an idea in your mind of what it should look like. The best advice I've ever been given was by a man who was 90 years old at the time. And I asked him, I said, Brother Bill, what kind of advice would you give a young man? And I thought he might tell me something practical like buy some land or plant some trees or you know, invest in the stock market. And he just kind of thought for a second and looked over at me and this is how he said it. Well, you just serve the Lord. He'll take care of you. Amen. 
my life, as I look back on it, that has been true. All I see is God's mercy. All I see is His hand and His grace when I look back. That was years ago He told me that. You know what? Somehow, when He told me that, I understood at a deeper level in my heart than I ever had the Scripture that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. He'll direct your paths. I had heard it preached my whole life. I had preached it probably dozens of times. And somehow this little old man, what he said to me, went straight to my heart. Amen. And he helped me understand it. To you older ones, don't underestimate the power that one sentence can have when you tell a younger person something from God. He changed my life with that sentence. You just serve the Lord, He'll take care of you. I could tell you stories, but it's not about me. Some of you probably have stories about God taking care of you. Praise His holy name. He says you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. That's why. That's why we receive power so we can be witnesses unto me. He says in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the world. Picture this like a circle. This is what Jesus said. Go back to Jerusalem. Wait for the promise from God. And when you receive the promise from God, you'll know. (sighs) When they received the promise from God, the Holy Spirit, that circle got bigger and bigger and bigger. They went in all the world. Sometimes persecution spread them into all the world. Sometimes other things sent them into all the world. God has even used, listen, He uses all of our brokenness. He's even used church splits to take the gospel to different places that if we all liked each other so much and stayed the same place and got warm and comfortable and never left, that's not what it's about. Sometimes, I don't mean God brings sin into the world. He doesn't. But He uses things that shouldn't have ever happened. He still brings good out of them. Amen. It's amazing. The reason God saves us is so we might be a light. First of all, so we might know Him. I want to make this clear, because sometimes we make it all about lost people. God saves us so that we might know Him. He saves us to worship Him. Everything in the universe was created to give glory to God. You figure out how to give glory to God with your life, you'll have a good life. Might not be rich, might not have a huge house. Maybe you'll be in some foreign land and get killed, but you'll have a good life. Maybe you'll be right here at home and you'll get to a ripe old age and you'll influence kids and grandchildren and the community. You'll have a good life. Serve the Lord. God saves us so we can serve Him. Just like a flower planted... In the woods, there may be some remote part of the woods that no human has ever been in. That flower that God planted there still gives glory to Him because it's doing what He created it to do. So first of all, salvation is about God before us. It's about giving Him glory and honor and praise. It's about knowing Him. Paul said that I may know Him. The power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto His death. King David said this, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may behold His beauty, inquire in His temple, 
I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. If you spend your whole life seeking truth, seeking the face of Jesus, it will not be a wasted life. Waiting on God, actually knowing Him, is the foundation of all religious activity that's of any worth. And I have to remind us of this. I need reminding of it regularly. But it seems like everywhere I go, this is what I end up trying to tell people. It's what's in my heart. We can't do anything without God. I get called to preach in revivals, and I'm always a little bit surprised because I don't feel like an evangelist. Because I go there, and I preach what God puts on my heart, and a lot of times I say, listen, this is not all about the lost, it's all about God. If we look to Him, lost people will seek the Lord. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. So God saves us to know Him. He saves us to worship Him. He saves us to give Him glory. A byproduct of that is us wanting people to be saved. It's us going into all the world. You could try to go into all the world without the power of the Holy Spirit, and you'll come back like the apostle. You remember when Jesus was here? He sent them out. They came back. Their clothes were torn. Their bodies were torn. They tried to cast out some demons on their own strength. And I picture Jesus kind of shaking his head. I don't know if he did or not. But he says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Listen, if we try to go into the world and reach the world for Jesus, evangelize on our own strength, we'll come back naked and bloody. We must first wait on the Lord. We must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We must figure out what He wants. We must know Him. And then work for Him. And then as we're laboring for Him, we must continue to know Him better and more and deeper. There is no religious work of God apart from God. We have to have Him. That's really what God has sent me here tonight to preach. And I'll just kind of repeat what I said, the text. It's not for you to know. I'll leave you with that thought. Brothers and sisters, it's not for you to know. Stop trying to figure out things that aren't any of your business. In fact, let me, let me tell you this. My grandfather always taught us this. He was my mentor in the gospel and he's gone on to heaven. That's his wife sitting there, my grandmother and my mother. And what a legacy, by the way, that my mama and my grandmother are here tonight. Thank the Lord for that. There's a scripture that says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That's what uh, Paul wrote to Timothy. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The word mystery, the Greek word mysterion. And the beginning of that word is a little prefix, mu. You know what it means? Shut up. It's, it's what the word means. Shut your mouth. There are things of God that are none of our business. Jesus said it's not for you to know. As soon as we stop worrying about trying to figure out things that aren't for us to know about and instead wait upon the Lord, get empowered by the Holy Spirit, oh, then we can serve Him. God bless you all. I love you. I have enjoyed being here. It's not about me, but I, you know, sometimes you don't enjoy preaching as much as others, and I sure enjoyed it tonight. I hope some of you enjoyed being in the Lord's house too. I want to say this, and Brother Doug may, may give an altar call, I don't know, but I'll just say, if any of you here, or anybody listening to this later, if you think I'm crazy, by the way, I don't usually preach like this, uh, if you think I'm crazy, if, if, if you don't have this peace I've been talking about, if you don't know what it's like to go through the storms of life and when it really gets down to the foundation, you're not worried. 
because the Holy Spirit's going to carry you through. If you don't know what's that like, what that's like, you can. If you don't know what peace in the middle of the storm is like, you can. Here's what it takes. Seek the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't try to figure it out in your mind. It's not for you to know. When God lets you know you're separated from Him, seek Him. How do you do that? You pray. Say, listen, I've met people these days that don't even know how to pray. I've met people in this country, in Tennessee, in Nashville, that have never heard of Jesus. Do you know that? So let me tell you, maybe, maybe you hear know how, maybe, maybe somebody doesn't. Here's how you pray. Humbly. Two men went down to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I think that I'm not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, or even like this publican here. I give tithes and alms, I'm a good guy. Thanks, Lord, for making me so good. That's his prayer. The publican could not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, smote on his breast, said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You don't know how to pray? Let me tell you, you can pray like that. God, I don't even know if you're real. If you are, you have to help me. Lord, I don't know how to pray. If you are, Lord, you have to help me. I'm sorry for everything I am, everything I've done. You have to help me. Repent. That's how you can have peace. Let me tell you this, when God saves you, and I'm sure you've heard this before from Brother Doug and from others, the Holy Spirit will let you know when you're saved. He'll give you peace. You won't have to wonder. Your mind might not get it. You might still be saying, are you going to give us the kingdom now? You might not get it. But when you strip away all the distraction of your mind and get down to what's in your heart, the Holy Spirit gives you peace. When God saved my soul, He made me a new person. I loved people after that that I didn't even like before. I couldn't hate anybody anymore. Listen, I'm stubborn by nature. My mother doesn't like me to talk this way. There were people I wish I could have hated. I couldn't. I don't know if you ever felt that way. I couldn't. God took it away. He made me a new person. Praise His holy name. I'm going to leave you with that. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus, for all you are.